0: Well, my phone, for some reason, is saying that it doesn't recognize my fingerprint or my face. Isn't that weird? Um, so I use it for my timer, so I just got no track of time today, so there you are. Well, man, it must be a sign. The Lord must want me to go on a bit longer today. Oh, thanks for all those amens. That was, that was beautifully done. Oh, no, some of your prayers have worked. It's come back on. It's recognized my face, and the countdown has begun. One of the privileges I have as a a pastor, as a leader, is that when I pray for the church, I see your faces, including what's below the mask. And I often go through all the names on our database and pray for you. And I have this beautiful sense that the Spirit of God is inviting us into depths of maturity and growth in Him that is way beyond where any of us have ever been before. I really believe that. And so when I, when I come to preach, I'm not just trying to pick up some random texts that just try and give us something to tickle our ears for the morning. I'm trying to bring what I feel God is wanting to add into our life as part of his maturing in our lives. And this morning, as part of our theme of more than enough, looking at Psalm 23 and the Good Shepherd, I believe I have something that I want to speak into your souls today from God's word that is going to help you and I to mature into believers that he's called us to be. Before I get into the thrust of what I'm saying, let's look and remind ourselves at what this really famous psalm says. Psalm 23, a psalm that will probably be the most read psalm during difficult times of grief and funerals. But this is not a psalm that's about grief alone. This is a psalm that points to the Good Shepherd ...in all walks of life. And it says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley... I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and protect me. You prepare a feast for me. You remember that last week. Even in the presence of my enemies, I can eat without paranoia. I can eat without any concern of what's taking place around me because God is with me. You honor me. By anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. There is sometimes conversations that take place that somebody says to you, What superpower would you choose if you could choose one of them from the Hollywood films? Would you cast webs out of your hand? Would you fly through the sky? Would you have super strength? What would you choose? Would you be Mr. Invisible? What would you choose as your superpower? And the Bible teaches us that there is a superpower that's available to the people of God, to you and I. And we're going to look at that superpower today. And I'm going to talk from a very open and honest place that for many of us, that superpower is not something we've ever particularly deployed in our lives. It's not something we've got used to using. It's something that's more likely to sit on the shelf, or it's something that we may desire, but even in our desire, we've still not seen its fulfillment. In fact, some of you will be disappointed in this room that you've tried to step out in this superpower, and it's not worked. That's how it looks, and that's how it appears. And that superpower is faith. The Bible encourages us that if you have faith, that's just the size of a grain of mustard seed, that impossible things can happen. And it's real. And because many of us have never seen those vast, big-scale miracles take place, it's easy for us to just contextualize back that faith maybe is a watered-down version. We have a diluted version of it that's present and real today. There's a dissidence between what we read in the Scriptures and what we understand in our experience. And I want to look at that very honestly today because I believe that faith drips through Psalm 23 because it doesn't matter if he's a good shepherd if you're not holding his hand. And it takes faith to hold his hand. If you are not full of faith, then that feast is prepared for you will be overtaken by the surrounding enemies. If you don't have faith, then the valley of the shadow of death that you walk through will fill your life with tears rather than hope. Faith exudes through Psalm 23. And faith is meant to exude through the life of a believer. Let's look at some of the significance of the power of faith. Jesus said himself in Mark's gospel, chapter 11, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I wonder if I ask for testimony time this morning, can everybody come forward who's ever moved a mountain by faith? Could you just come and share your stories? Uh, Let's look at the geology landscape and how that's changed. Could you come and share those moments and those stories? The other day I had about, I think it was um, 800 kilograms of stones arrive to lay on our back garden Um, and live in a three-story house and they couldn't deliver it to the back garden. They delivered it to the top of the three-story house and had to carry these 800 kilograms down three flights of stairs to my garden. That's the nearest I've come to moving a mountain. (laughs) But Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this can happen. This is either a delusional Jesus or there's something in our life that we've not yet found we've not matured in. And I want to just unpack for us what that looks like and how that maturity happens and what it can mean for the reality of our lives so we don't live in dissidence, we live in process. This is possible. Faith, some people say, has an alternative spelling. You may have, If you've been around Christianity years, you will have heard people say faith is spelled with R-I-S-K. It's risk. The problem is, stupidity is spelled R-I-S-K sometimes as well, isn't it? There's, you know, this, um, you know a very subtle difference between walking on water and skating on thin ice. The, the realities of those two things can be quite challenging. But faith is essential, even within our salvation, Let's take miracles out of it for a moment. Let's take healing out of it. Let's take moving mountains out of it. Faith is essential for your salvation. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians 2, verse 8, says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Risk doesn't really work in that context. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Without faith, salvation is not possible. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. So faith comes from God. We don't conjure it up, we don't sit a paper, we don't do a study and suddenly develop faith. Faith is a gift from God. But not only is faith essential for salvation, faith is essential for our worship. You might think music is essential, it's not. You might think gathering with God's people is essential, it's not, it's not for worship. You might you know, think that actually living a good life you know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's essential for worship. But that's not what it says here in Hebrews 11. It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. You can live perfect lives. You can sing wonderful songs. You can develop beautiful harmonies. But it is impossible to please him without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So faith is essential for salvation, and faith is essential for worship, but let's explore a little bit further what is faith. Because the Bible is actually very explicit. The word faith might sound a little bit airy-fairy, and we try and find our analogies to make it work, you know, like none of you, looked around to your chair when Des said, please take your seats, and thought, I hope it's going to hold me up. It was just an assumption. That illustration would have worked better if somebody's chair had collapsed at that moment, but there you are. We won't go there. But the Bible is very explicit at describing what faith is. Let's look at it a bit more. In Hebrews 11 verse 1 famous chapter on faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I mentioned that some people have said that you can spell faith, R-I-S-K. I want to suggest there's a better description of faith than risk, and that is trust. Faith can feel a little bit airy-fairy sometimes. Do you have faith in God? Yes, I have faith in God. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him? Without trust, it's impossible to please God. When He says something that disagrees with your wants and your desires, do you lay down your wants and desires and trust what He says? If you don't, It's impossible to please God. We trust. It is by grace you have been saved through trust. We placed our hands in Christ and said, we can do nothing to save ourselves. We trust that your death and resurrection on the cross was more than enough for me. Salvation can't happen without trust or without faith. And now we just read, now faith or trust is the substance of things hoped for. Substance, if you've got a house that the, the foundations are a bit shaky, they might say you've got subsidence. Your substance is what sits beneath the house. It's what lays in its foundations. Jesus spoke about a foolish builder that built a beautiful-looking home in a gorgeously scenic location, but the substance of what that house was built on was inadequate. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's trust endemic in the very foundations of our life. It's what sits beneath our activities, sits beneath our worship, sits behind our, underneath our obedience, sits underneath our service. It's what sits underneath our generosity. It's what sits underneath our love. Faith is the substance. Trust is the substance. What foundations have you built your following of Jesus on? Is it that you feel blessed when you're with him? Is that your foundation? It's not good enough. It's not deep enough. There's a maturing of your foundations that God wants to form in you. Is it that you enjoy fellowship? Is it that you enjoy being part of a community of God's people? If that's your foundation, it's not good enough. It's not deep enough. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The certainty of what we do not see. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What we do not see. Because right at the very beginning of time, and we've kept going back to this week after week in this series of more than enough, that in the beginning was the Word. There was nothing else. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he spoke, let there be light. And he didn't take, he he didn't recycle some other form of light. He didn't get all the torches and the candles and say, no, I'm going to reform this into a way that makes light. He spoke into nothing And the very power of his word was able to transform the unseen, the invisible, what wasn't there, and to make it something that was real and something that is there. That's faith in God's power in life. It's the substance of things hoped for, the certainty of things that we do not see. Certainly, I know that within my life... There have been so many occasions in our our marriage and in our family and in our journey of faith. There have been so many times when there's been a promise that God has given and you think, how on earth can that happen? I see no sign of it materializing whatsoever. I think it's some of the prophetic words we've had over the church here over the years. I think it's some of the things that God has spoken to us through his scriptures time and time again. And you look at the environment and it looks like it's invisible. But faith is the substance of things hoped for. The certainty of what we do not see. I remember when that Southwest Awake was an idea that I felt a whisper of the Spirit. Will anybody join in? When anybody participate? And now we've got hundreds of believers all over the Southwest taking part in it. It was a step of faith. When a number of years ago, God, I I remember I was by a brook in Dartmoor and I was walking along this brook spending some time with Jesus and I felt God ask me to step off Elim's national leadership. And I felt God say, I want you to step off because there are some things I want to do in the Southwest and I need your time to be available for it. Now he doesn't need me. God can speak and make light happen. He doesn't need me. But he chooses to work through us as his conduits. He's looking for people who will be the catalysts of this faith, who will build their life on the substance of faith. As a part of that journey, you know, I remember beginning to dream about being part of just a kingdom-minded movement that wants to see churches planted. Just three weeks ago, we launched, we started, The church-planted academy. Got 20 students on this church-planted academy. I think in the next 10 years, we could see 100 churches planted across the Southwest. Where's the evidence, Mark? It's in my substance. It's faith. It's trust. The substance of things hoped for. The certainty of what we do not see. And God is looking for people who will travel that adventure with Him. And they will say, within the substance of my life, there are many options I can build my life on. You can build them on your feelings. You can build them on your blessings. You can build them on your perception or the perceptions that other people have of you. You can build them on your status. But God wants us to build our lives entirely upon the substance of faith and what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. Say, well, Mark, you're a, you're a pastor. You're a full-time in ministry. I, I, I get that this is part of your vocation. This is part of your call. No, no, no. You completely misunderstand the Scriptures. You completely misunderstand. You know, the gifts of leadership that God gives to the church are given to equip the saints for works of service. It's not a call upon the ministers of the church to be the people who move in the signs and wonders, and you bring your sick to us, and you bring your needs to us, and you bring your circumstances to us, and we have a word from God for you and say, this is the answer, now go and do it. That's not the scriptural form of church. It's that you hear from God. It's that you pray for the sick. It's that you raise the dead. It's that you believe by faith. It's that you set up prayer initiatives across the Southwest. It's that you be planting churches. It's that you stand up in the courage of the things that God's got for you. But we sell short and we build our life on other substance. We got houses that look beautiful, but they're built on sand. The spiritual illiteracy in the church of Jesus Christ is shocking. On, we, we live on fast food. We, we know John three sixteen, and we chew it and chew it and chew it. And we're meant to be people moving in signs and wonders and the miraculous. Build our lives on faith. On. And guys, I long to be part of a church. This is my prayer for you. I don't... I'm not really bothered about whether a congregation grows or not. When I stand before God one day, God's not going to say, how big was the church? He's not going to be bothered. How many ministries did you have? He's not interested. But I know I can stand before him. And I pray I continue along this line to say, God, I did everything you asked me to do. And you're going to face the same question. How long for us to stand before Him and say, I walked by faith and not by sight. This world needs a church that's not created just COVID safe buildings and learned to hang fairy lights in pretty ways and it upskilled our IT and improved our cameras and our sound and have beautiful music like we have and have hopefully every now and again some inspiring preaching. That's not what God's saying the church needs to be right now. We're meant to be salt and light. And to be salt and light, we've got to be people built on the substance of faith. Jesus said you can move mountains. There was a man who came to Jesus with a real need. His son was having serious convulsions. And the man had tried to take his son to the disciples, the followers of Jesus, to be healed. And we see that in this particular instance of sickness, that there was a demon... That was the cause. I don't believe all sickness is demonic, but I believe some of it is. And in this case, we read that Jesus discerned that it was demonic. And this demon would cause this boy to throw himself into fire, into water, into lakes. And it was just trying to destroy this kid's life. And I'm a, I'm a parent. You know, there's nothing we wouldn't do for our kids, eh? We we would stand in the way of harm for them. Because that's what good parents do. That's what love does. And this man, this father, goes to Jesus and explains the issue and the problem. And in Mark 9, verse 17 onwards, we read this. One of the men of the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked the disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. How long has this been happening? Jesus goes on in verse 21 to say, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can, oh God. Jesus said, what do you mean, if I can? What? If I can? You might think, has Jesus has been a bit harsh on him here? He's, after all, this man has just, he's already taken him to the disciples. He's not given up. Now he's coming to Jesus and he's spoken up above the crowd. And what do you mean? Jesus said, what do you mean, if I can Anything is possible if a person believes. That's a really interesting point about belief, trust, faith, substance. Because Jesus said everything is possible if a person believes. But we read, if we go back a few chapters in Mark 6, we read that even Jesus couldn't do some miracles in one location... Because there was a serious lack of faith in that community. Fascinating story. It says in Mark 6, verses 5 onwards, he could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Well, we call that revival today, wouldn't we? (laughs) But it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. Oh, I want to amaze Jesus, but I don't want him to be scratching his head amazed, thinking what little faith Rediscover has. I don't want him to be amazed at us for that reason. I want him to be amazed at the level of conviction we have. Now, faith can't be mustered up. We can't determine that I'm going to be full of faith today. We don't grit our teeth. We don't put mind over matter. Faith is a gift of God. But there's a process to faith growing in our lives. And let me tell you one of the reasons why there is a process. Because let's just say the moment you came to Jesus, you suddenly were able to access that superpower of faith that you could move mountains. Can you imagine the chaos of all these people going around saying, look what I can do. Exwick be moved in Jesus' name. (laughs) Suddenly Exwick is banished to Plymouth. Imagine someone falls out in church And they say, be smitten in Jesus' name. And suddenly they die. Imagine someone 120 years of age on their deathbed. And you go and say, I don't want to lose them. No, no, get up in Jesus' name. And they say, please let me go this time. Let me go. I will not let you go. Let me go. Imagine. That there has to be a process in the same way that before I give my, kid, my kids the keys to my car, I need to know that they can handle it. And, and faith is real and it's available to you. And it's available to all of God's people. But there's a process of learning how to handle it. And that process involves us dying. Not physically, but it, allow, it requires us to place our hand in the hand of the Good Shepherd and say, wherever you lead me, whatever you say, whatever you do, I trust you. But this process is really important. And back to the man who was bringing his son to Jesus Jesus said, anything is possible if a person believes. And the man said, he instantly, it says in verse 24, cried out. Because he was so desperate, he cried out. He didn't say, oh, here's a smart answer I got out of a book. He cried out from the very depths of his being because there was a desperation in his heart. And desperation is part of the process of God. I've got friends who have traveled to other continents to preach the gospel They minister in this nation. They pray for the sick and they rarely see anything happen. And they go to another continent and they pray for the sick and they see miracles happen everywhere. And the reason for it is that in those nations, they don't have an NHS. They don't have a plan B. They don't have a good healthcare system. If they don't get a miracle, they are dying. And we've got plan B's here. And it keeps us from desperation. I thank God for the care and the all of those who are serving in those ways in our society. Thank God for the skill that he has given science to be able to combat many of these evils that are present and pervading the bodies of people in society. I thank God for all of those with skills, with mental health. I thank God for all of those things. But guys, we are called to be desperate before God to say, God, I will not let you go till you bless me. Jacob wrestled all night with God on the eve of seeing his brother Esau, that he tricked and swindled. And all night he wrestled with the angel, didn't know it was an angel, thought it was another man, but he just wrestled. And he just would not let him go. He said, I will not let you go till you bless me. When was the last time you did that with God? I've been pretty surprised at our monastery in the pandemic. We've all adjusted. We've all pivoted as the inward. We've all found news, new ways of doing things. And even a worldwide pandemic hasn't got us to be desperate before the Lord. All our prayers, our prayer meetings have risen by about 20%. But I, I, would have, I would have expected in a worldwide pandemic that the church of Jesus Christ would have been on their faces going, God! Come on, Mark. Come on. We're desperate for you. We will not let you go until this is eradicated from the world. But... Now we wear masks and we just get on with it, don't we? Form of godliness without power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it's a matter of power. The substance of things hoped for. The certainty of what we do not see. And the father cried out, he said, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. Help me believe, God. I've used my time today, and I'm only a third of the way through my notes, and I'm not going to continue on. I think I can land it here. If you want to get the full thing, go to the first service. I obviously wasn't as inspired in the first service, and I managed to get through it all. But briefly, Job, a man that caught the attention of heaven, God said to Satan, Look at look my servant Job. Look how much integrity it is in him. Look how righteous he is. Satan said, Yeah, he only does that because you bless him, because you protect him. He only lives that life because it's transactional. He lives righteously, you bless him. Righteous blessing, righteous blessing. He actually thinks that his righteousness makes this possible. Oh, isn't that a bit of a picture of how we often think we act spiritually? You know, I've, I've worshipped sacrificially this morning, therefore surely the Lord will bless me. Oh, is that why you did it? Oh, I thought it was about him. Ooh. Oh, God, we're so desperate. I'm going to fast for the next seven days. And I'm really excited you're going to bless me abundantly at the end of it. Oh, okay. So you're sort of denying yourself, but really you, you're denying yourself to get something. And Satan said, Job is only obeying you. He's only doing this because of how you bless him. His faith is shallow. Take away the things, take away the blessing, take away the protection, and his faith is gone. But of course, that didn't happen. But Job lived this sort of conviction and this belief that he started out that it was transactional. It was around his perfection. When you look at when things go wrong in your life, do you ever wonder, what have you done wrong? Satan's having a go at you. How does it, how does it equate with a life of faith? Do you know what I've discovered? Is that often God is more at work in those times than we understand. Job didn't have the narrative that we've got today, but we go forward many chapters and we find his friends have continued to say to him, you must have messed up, Job. You must have sinned. Repent and God will relent from this judgment that's upon you. Job said, I've done nothing wrong. I've lived this life of integrity. I've got nothing to repent of. But there was something deeper that God was about to teach Job. And we read later on that God appeared to Job in a whirlwind. And God begins to say to Job, were you there when I created things? When I flung the stars into space, were you there? When the very breath of my mouth carries the wisdom of eternity, were you there? And Job does this. Not with a face mask, with his hand. I've already spoken too much, God. I realize the folly, the stupidity of me trying to just wave my fist and say, God, why is this happening to me? At the end of the story of Job, he suffered much calamity in his life. And it's a painful story to read. It's a difficult story to read. It's a difficult story to expound. But he lost many things in his life that we would have wanted to have turned up with a pastoral team and say, in the name of Jesus, let's break this over your life. But God was at work. And we see at the end of the story that Job had more riches returned to him than he lost. He had more family returned to him than he lost. He had more reputation returned to him than he lost. But that wasn't his riches. His riches were that he had a new vision of God. His riches were that his faith, the substance in his life, was now deeper and more foundational than he ever knew previously. And church, on this journey, that God is leading us to a place of substance of faith in our lives. Along that journey, there are valleys of the shadows of death. There are wolves, there are enemies, and there are tests. And in our desperation, if we will hold on to the hand of the good shepherd and say, I don't understand it, this hurts, this is painful, I can't make head or tail of this, but I trust you, and I'm not going to let you go. So often, it's like we get on that train of the process of growing in faith and we have some bumpy journeys and some things go wrong and calamity happens and disaster comes and a station is visible through our window and it says, welcome to disappointment. And the train stops. We think, I'm going to camp here. And we get off we're not desperate enough for the end destination. And so I've met people who live on that platform. They live there and their life exudes with pain and disappointment and I, as a pastor, put my arm around him and say, this is not where you mean to live. I know it's been tough. I know you can't rationalize it. I know we don't know the end of the story, but come back on the train. And then later on, there's another station. It says, hopelessness. Oh, this feels like home. I've believed, and why has it not happened? This feels like a place I could live. But what sadness there is there. Come back on the train. Let the substance of your life be deepened. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of your faith. Hold on to him, the good shepherd. Let's pray together. Can I invite you to stand with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Band, would you come and join me? Jesus. I don't need a public response here. But there are some of those stations and there are other names to them that there are people in this room that have got off at. And I want you to hear from a pastor's heart speaking on behalf of the Good Shepherd that he wants to give you a new revelation of who he is and what he can do. But when you trust him? I wonder, just in the silence, maybe you could just lift your hand as a sign of reaching out to God and say, God, I get back on the train. Thank you that you're with me in my disappointment. Thank you that you walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. Thank you that you're with me. You prepare a table for me, even the presence of my enemies. Thank you by faith that my cup surely overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, even though it feels like there's enemies following me all the days of my life right now. But God, I trust the energy and the power of your word and the life of God. I trust you. I trust the good shepherd. I trust that you are leading me to a fresh revelation of who you are. Father, I know that you have shepherd's heart. Good shepherd. And I know that you feel that pain. Feel that bitterness, that disappointment. But I know you have more than that place and that moment. So we open our hearts and we say, Spirit of God, lead me. I trust you under your masks if you feel you can say that why don't you say to the Lord I trust you and realize the significance the power the challenge the weight of those words you're taking a concept out of your mind and you're placing it into the substance of your life I trust you even through the tears I trust you I trust you I trust you Lord but we're not crushed. Persecuted not abandoned. Crushed, but not destroyed. Though they slay me, I will trust in you because you are my refuge and my strength. You are my ever-present help at all times. And I embrace you welcome you and i pray lord that faith will rise in the hearts of your people whatever's been in the substance and the foundations of our walk with you i pray that faith will rise and it will go deep and it will mature and it will strengthen our hearts while you respond if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know Jesus if there's anyone watching online that you don't know Jesus Jesus described you as being like a sheep without a shepherd you're wandering your way through this world and you need a protector you need a guide you need someone who loves you unconditionally and that person is Jesus Jesus and he doesn't have to prove that in the future. He's proven it in the past. He gave his life for you on the cross. And he says, if you will recognize that your need of him, call upon his name. It says those who call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If you would like to receive Jesus as your good shepherd in your life. Would you pray this wherever you are? Pray it after me. And it goes like this. Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life for me. I'm sorry I've wandered. I've left you out of my life and I've done my own thing. But I want to follow you. I recognize my need of you. And I thank you that you came to find me. And now I ask that you fill me with your love that you'll cleanse me of all my past wrong and that you will fill me with yourself that I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray your spirit will presence yourself in the hearts of everyone who prayed that prayer. Come and reveal Jesus and his love. If you prayed that prayer from home, then why don't you tell one of the online teams I prayed that prayer this morning, I'd like to become a Christian and someone would love to encourage you and help you. If you're in the room and you pray that prayer either for the first time or come back to God this morning, would you raise your hands where you are? Just put it up and when I've seen it, I'll just recognize it and I'll know to include you in a prayer. Is there anyone? I know there's some people with their hands lifted in worship and I'm assuming that's just a worship poise but if there's someone just lift it a bit higher, if that's an intentional prayer of yours, to give your life to Jesus. Father, may each of us build our life on the substance of Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.